The following sermon is from Redemption Bible Church of New Braunfels, where we are proclaiming the authority of God's Word without apology in order to fulfill the Great Commission in the spirit of the Great Commandment. Good, I am as well. Do you know, in 1938, Harvard scientists began tracking the health of 268 of their sophomores. This was during the Great Depression, and they hoped that the longitudinal study would reveal clues to two things, those that lead happy and healthy lives. Of the original Harvard cohort recruited as a part of that great study in 1938, only 19 are still alive. Interestingly enough, those that were sophomores in Harvard in that year that were among that were uh, eventual president John F. Kennedy. He obviously is deceased. 19 are still alive. And in addition, over the years, the scientists eventually expanded their research to include these men's uh, children, who now number somewhere around 1,300 or in their 50s and 60s. But they wanted to find out how early life experiences affect health and aging over time. And over the intervening decades, the last 80 years, other have been included expanding the control groups and expanding the research. But over the years, these researchers have studied their participants' health trajectories in their broader lives, including the triumphs and failures in careers and marriages. They've included, or they've concluded, rather, some pretty startling lessons. Looking at their health, tracking all these things, how they live their life, what they eat, medications, all these things. Get this, the surprising finding is that our relationships and how happy we are in our relationships has a powerful influence on our health said Robert Waldinger. He's the director of the study currently, and he's a professor there at the Harvard Med School. He says, taking care of your body is important, but tending to your relationships is a form of self-care too. And that is the revelation over 80 years of this study. Close relationships more than money or fame are what keep people happy throughout their lives, the study reveals, and living longer. Those who kept warm relationships in the study got to live longer and happier. The loners often died earlier. Waldinger says the loneliness kills. It's as powerful as smoking and or alcoholism. He says it's easy to get isolated, to get caught up in work and not remembering, oh, I haven't seen these friends in a long time. And so he, in his own life, he says, I try to pay more attention to my relationships than I once did. What does this 80-year study show for us? It's what the Bible has been saying from the very beginning, that relationships matter. Community is important for us. You want to live long, you want to live a healthy life, then relationships are vital to this. This goes way back to the very beginning of the Bible. In Genesis 2, God, he had created Adam and he says, it's not good that this man should be alone. Every day of creation, he gets to the end, he says, oh, this is good, it's good. And then he gets to the end of day six and it's just a man, one dude, Adam sitting there and he says, this ain't no bueno. As men, we know, like, yeah, it's not good if we were left alone. But why? Why is it? It's because humans, as God has designed us, 
We are created for community, for relationships. We are not islands. See, here's the big idea. Here's what we need to know today. God made us for one another. God has made us as humans for one another. This is woven into the very fabric in creation of our DNA. The Bible declares it, and what we see from the study is that science has confirmed it. We also know that in Genesis 3, sin corrupted that, that DNA causing us to want to isolate, to hide ourselves But beloved, isn't the beauty of the gospel that God, through Christ, made a way to restore us back into relationship first with himself and then also with one another. See, we are made for one another. And when we repent and believe in Christ, he saves us into a relationship with himself and with his church. And so that's why we're beginning this study today called Uncommon Community. We're going to be looking at it today and spending the next couple months looking at some of the one another's of what the Bible teaches us on how to live in this Christian community. We're going to uh, be looking at this in, in various stages today. We're going to set the foundation and then each week hereafter we're going to be looking at several of the one another's in this study, Uncommon Community. In our small groups, we're going to be going through this study right here going to change up the pace a little bit from our normal pulpit curriculum and it'll follow this and so uh, if you're in a small group see your small group leader today they can even get you the book uh, so you can begin working on it for a small group this week as you answer the questions and dive deeper into what does the bible say about how we relate to one another what makes this community so uncommon so again see your small group leader they'll get these to you Uh, we ask that you cover the cost for it and you can uh, they'll have information on all those things but we're going to go deeper into this. And so we're going to look at 1 Corinthians 12 now. I want you to turn there in your, your copy of God's Word, 1 Corinthians 12. If you've got your blue Bible, it's on page 558. But this is going to set the stage for us. We're going to turn here. Paul is writing as we talk about a community. Paul's writing to a specific church in a city called Corinth. It's a city in modern-day Greece. And they were a newer church, not unlike us, with people at various stages in their sanctification, various stages in their understanding of who God is. They, were, uh, they come from various religious backgrounds. They had various social upbringings. And what brought them together at this church and what brings us together is our common faith in Christ Jesus. There's various roads behind us but we're all headed in the same direction towards the Lord Jesus. And so Paul takes several chapters here. He's teaching them about gifts and how to relate to one another. And in the midst of this, he teaches us how to live in community. He says, we are made for one another. And so look with me at 1 Corinthians 12. We're going to pick it up in verse 12 and work our way through the next uh, several verses here. We pick it up in verse 12. So read it with me now. He says, for just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. Beloved, look here as we, as we pick it up. What he's saying in these two verses, he's saying we're the many made one. 
where the many made one. This is our first point. This is what these two verses teach us. We're part of something bigger and more complex. We're the many made one. As we are made for one another, we are the many made one. And the human body is a great example of this. As we just think through what our bodies are, we're one local unit here made up of various systems. We have our respiratory system that oxygenates our body. We have our nervous system that keeps us going and feeling. We have our immune system that keeps us healthy. We have our muscular system that keeps us strong and attached and put together. And we have our skeletal system that offers the support to this body. One body but numerous systems, numerous members all making up the one physical human body what he says there in verse 12 he says so it is with christ in other words this is the picture of the christian life as we look around at one another as we see how we are to relate to one another he's saying this is the christian life so it is with christ and another place in colossians 1 paul says that christ himself that jesus is the head of this body He's the most important part. He's the one that keeps this thing going. If you sever the head from the body, does it exist? No, sever the head and the body is dead. There's a rhyme there. Come on, that's good for you, right? And so it is with the church. Remove Christ from the picture. Remove Jesus from the church and what we do and what we're after. And the church is dead. He says, this is the one, this is the way that the body exists. So it is with Christ Jesus and we who are saved. And then he goes on to say, the Holy Spirit's role here. It's the Spirit who's the one who makes this happen and keeps it going. He is the energy and the life. Into one body, we are all baptized. And he's, this is maybe some strange language here. Uh, he's saying, this, is, this baptism he is using metaphorically. It's not, he's not speaking of a second experience in this. Look there, verse 13, he says, one spirit, we are all baptized into one body. He's speaking of our unity together. And so to speak of this as like some sort of second experience different than water baptism, which he's also not referring to here, it's just a metaphorical uh, term that we who are believers, we are immersed We are brought into a greater body of faith. And when we are saved, the moment that God takes us and transfers us from the domain of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son, we are immersed or baptized into this body of Christ and all given God's spirit. Are you a believer today? If you placed your faith in Christ, you have God's spirit living in you and dwelling you bringing to mind what Christ has said, what the Bible teaches, pointing you, uh, directing your conscience into what is right and what is wrong. And when you're walking down the wrong road, it is God's spirit who's living inside of you that's convicting you. Those alarms that go off and say, hey, don't do that, don't do that, don't do that. That's a bad idea, it's a bad idea. God's spirit, God's spirit indwelling you. It's him as we are saved into one body, one spirit that we were all given and continue to walk in at our salvation all of us receive this look up just a few verses we didn't go over it but go up to verse four he's making this same point here that we are all who are saved we are given god's spirit and so look at verse four he says now there are a variety of gifts but the same spirit 
It is the Spirit who is the originator of He, we all have the same Spirit, but in God's kindness, in God's goodness, in God's joy, He's given you gifts that are different than your gifts, that are different than your gifts, and they all come from God's Spirit, but there are a variety of them. He says there are a variety of service, but the same Lord. We all have different responsibilities within the church, but we have one master. That's what's communicated here, Lord or Master. We all serve one Christ. It's not me, it's not anyone else. We have one Lord. He says there are a variety of activities, the things that we do, the things that we engage in, but it is the same God who empowers them all in everyone. It is God the Father who ordains them, who who puts the activities, who puts the opportunities before you. Look at verse 7. He says, to each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. Just said, you have God's spirit in you as if you are saved. You have been brought into this family and God has uniquely gifted you. He's made the many one for the good of the people that are sitting next to you and God's glory. Isn't this beautiful? It's the same Holy Spirit. He's working on us all now. That's what he means by back in verse 13. We are made to drink of one spirit. As we seek to live this life that honors Christ, that's what he's talking about. It's not this mystical thing. It's not like a literal drinking. It's not the, you know, the cult-like Kool-Aid that we're all drinking the Holy Spirit. It's nothing like that. He's saying we're all drawing from the same well as we are headed towards Christ at various places in our sanctification, various places in our walk with Christ. We are all drinking from the same well, praying to the same God, reading the same scriptures, all of us, all of us, all Christians, all Christians, regardless of ethnicity, social status, age, any of those things. That's what he says. We're baptized into one body, Jews and Greeks. Slaves are free. What he's doing there is painting a picture for this. This is everybody. Writing to the Jewish people, the Jews, I would say, well, the Greeks or the Gentiles, which was really just categorically everybody else. And so whether you are you or anyone else, whether you have a job or you're owned by anyone else, in those days you were either free or you were a slave. Everybody, regardless of your background, regardless of your ethnicity, regardless of how much money you have in the bank, we are all in the same body of Christ, united in who? The Lord Jesus Christ. The Lord Jesus Christ. See, we're the many made one, all of us here. And as we have this before us, as we read scriptures like this, doesn't that crush in us that in the attitude of individualism? You know, the attitude of you do you. You do you. It crushes in us this, our attitudes of independence. That I'll do what I want when I want attitude. Hey, you can't tell me where to sit. You can't tell me what to do. I'm, I'm me. It crushes us. It crushes within us our, our pride that I'm better than you attitude. When we realize what God did to save us, that he has baptized us into the same body, that we are made one in this light community of faith in Christ, these things crush our individualism, our independence, and our pride. And what it should well up within us, what it should breed within us, rather, is attitudes of curiosity. Abram Lincoln is, is famous for, for saying, I don't like that man. I must get to know him better. And as we come to the body of Christ and there's somebody that's different than us, that looks different, that dresses different, that says things different than us, that is older or younger, it should, instead of breeding individualism, it should breed curiosity. I need to get to know that person. They're different than me. They think different than me. I'm curious. Who are they? 
should breed in us rather generosity. This idea of what's mine is yours. It all belongs to the Lord anyways. So our heart is one of generosity, just as Christ was generous in us, of bringing us into his family with nothing to offer, but all of our baggage of sin and corruption and crap that we have behind us. He was generous enough to bring us in. And so we too are generous among one another. It breeds also within us attitudes of camaraderie. This idea that we're all in this together. We're all in this together. We're all headed in the same direction. We're all drinking of one spirit. We are all connected for eternity, beloved. If we don't like him now, well, guess what? You got eternity to worship with him. That's a beautiful thing because we are the many that are made one. We're the many made one. And the verses continue here. Look at verse uh, 14. He says, we are all together unique. We're all together unique. The many made one who are all together unique. Look at verse 14 here. He says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body. That would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the whole body were an eye, where would be the sense of hearing? And if the whole body were an ear, where would be the sense of smell? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. Underline that. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. So up there, see, we're the many made one, and we are all together unique. See, there's a funny picture here, isn't there? There's a funny picture. Imagine if we were all feet. We would just all be stepping on one another all the time, right? And if we were all ears, we would be dopey looking, but we wouldn't even know it because we don't have eyes to see what we look like. It's a joke. Come on, y'all. That's a joke. I worked hard on that one. But here's the thing. We walk into church trying to look for people that look exactly like us. This is what Paul's talking about to the Corinthians here. He's saying, if we walk into church looking for people exactly like us, then we've got it all wrong. So church isn't about finding all the people with the same skin color, go to the same school, cheer for the same team, have kids in the same age group that are retired, that are going through the same things, that are single, on and on and on. So here's, here's the thing. When you fill out a personality profile, when you fill out your Census Bureau information and statistics, you are the only one checking the exact same boxes. There's no one else like you. There's no one else like you. It's a good thing. If we're all like me, I don't know what this world would be like. If we're all like you, the world would be pretty, we'd all be the same. We'd be uniform. We're united, we're unique, but we're not uniform. And this is a good thing. It's what, the way God designed it. Did you see that in verse 18? God arranged it this way as he chose. He made you unique. And specifically, so he even brought you to redemption for a purpose. He brings you to a local body like this, an organized group of believers, a part of the global reality. He brings you to the local assembly here for a purpose. And this is a beautiful thing. So here's the application as we read through this. The body needs you. The body needs you. Yes, you. The body needs the ears and the eyes. It needs something. And we, you have something to offer the person sitting in front of you. 
may not know what it is now. It's no accident that you're here, but it's God's really perfect arrangement. You may think, well, I don't, I don't know what I have to offer. I don't know what I do. I, I, I just feel like a big toe. I, I, what good am I? We've got medical professionals in here, or PTs. How important is a big toe to a body? Yeah, pretty important, isn't it? We walk without it? I mean, maybe with some help, yeah, you might. Where I'm from, they say you got a hitch in your get up if you don't have a big toe. It's pretty important. It's vital to the health and the function of our bodies. You have something to offer. And we can't be envious of it and say, well, I don't really want to be a big toe. I want to be a pinky toe. I just want to come and be over there on the outside. Well, the pinky toe is pretty important as well. The body needs you. Every part is vital. Every member is significant. Each of us bears a responsibility for our part that God has given us. And we weaken the body. We debilitate the body when we don't do our part. And there are many here. Beloved, this is really a reason to rejoice. Because there are many here who bear their gifts who bear the significance, who do it with joy and faithfulness week after week. Do you know our facilities crews? They get here at 7.30 every Sunday, pulling that trailer and setting these things up here, transforming this into a, from a kid's cafeteria into a place of worship. And do it with joy and sacrifice Sunday after Sunday, serving us in this way. And our production teams, they, they get here at the same time. They're back there and they're setting things up. They don't like the attention. They only get the attention when things go wrong, right? Only time we notice them is when the screen's down, sound doesn't sound right or something, when we're, when we're mad at them because it's too loud or whatever. That's the only time they get any attention and yet they are joyfully, faithfully serving us in that capacity. Our redemption kids teams, man, they are serving hard, joyfully, sacrificially back there Sunday after Sunday pointing our kids to Christ, discipling them in the faith, teaching them the gospel, knowing that there is a God who loves them. And they serve and on and on. Our coffee crews are out there making delicious cups of coffee because that's where relationship happens. Community happens as we are taking in that coffee. And they need the caffeine so you can stay awake right now. But you know what? That's just practical outworkings of this. Each is unique. God's gifted you in a unique way because the body needs you. We are all together unique. God using us, giving us our responsibility so we can own our part with joy. Not envious, not envious, but joyful, bearing the responsibility God has given us. See, we're made for one another. We're the many made one that is altogether unique. And our chapter continues on in verse 21 saying that we're diverse and interdependent. We're diverse and interdependent. Read here with me verses 21 to 26. He goes on, the illustration continues. says, the eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. 
See, beloved, in the same way that we acknowledge our diversity, our uniqueness, we must also realize our interdependence. As the same is true. The body needs you, so you need the body. You need the body. The mouth can't say to the feet, I don't need you to eat barbecue. Oh, yeah, you do. The mouth can't say to the feet, I don't need you to eat barbecue. Yes, we do. You know, my mouth can't taste delicious barbecue if I don't have feet to get me there to the barbecue place. I need everything to get there. A couple weeks ago, Aaron and I were at a barbecue joint, and there was a picture like this on the wall. So you kind of need all the pieces because sometimes I feel like bacon, sometimes I feel like brisket, sometimes I feel like pork loin. I mean, I feel like all different kinds of things. My mouth can't say, I need it. It is diverse and working together. We are diverse and interdependent. All different cuts of the same body. John MacArthur has this great quote. You can read it here on the screen. It's from his commentary on 1 Corinthians 12. He says, the diversity of the church is a God-ordained means of bringing the fellowship to oneness. But unless each diverse member recognizes and accepts his part in the whole body, diversity will divide rather than unite, destroy rather than build up, bring discord rather than harmony, and result in self-serving rather than self-giving. Brother, as we, sisters, as we recognize God's design of our diversity and our interdependence, we can't look down upon or run from those who are different. That's what he's saying. You can't look and say, I don't have any need for that. I don't need to be around those people. They're different than me. No, we can't run from it. Rather, we treat one another with greater honor. We treat one another with greater honor. That's what he's pointing out here. Is he's saying, we, we look again at the body and he says, hey, the thumb might be you know, just a, 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 an appendage over here. It might not be the strongest muscle in the body. It might be weak, but try to grab a glass of water without it. You, you're not going to be able to. He says, our sensitive organs, we, we cover them for protection, know that, knowing that they are vital for our existence. We, we have to, we, we protect them, we honor them. And so too, God has designed the community of faith, our uncommon community, this body of believers. And so he gives us some very practical ways there in the end of that paragraph on how we live this out. What makes our community so uncommon? Here's, here's some of the ways. He said, we honor and protect our most vulnerable members. We honor and protect the most vulnerable. Here's something I want you to know. Whether you find yourself in this place or you know somebody, this is a safe place. Our community of faith, Redemption Bible Church, is a safe place. This is, we protect and we honor our kids, women, those that are abused, those that are downtrodden, those that are disabled. We honor and protect those that are in the foster care system. We have a heart for those who are adopted. This is a safe place here and we want that. And we, as believers... We care for them. We care for them. We honor and protect them. And if you find yourself in a vulnerable place, I just uh, the church is a safe place to speak up and to get the help that you need. I tell this to, to women and kids. If you find yourself in an unsafe situation, if you find yourself, if you're being abused in any way, if you find yourself fearful for your life or fearful for your safety, there's two phone calls you make. First to the police and second to your pastor. Second to your pastor, because I'll have a group of guys that will call and will be there right away. I'm not that big and scary, but 
I can bring the fear of the Lord with me. That's right. And so we care. We honor our most vulnerable members. We honor and protect them. What else does he say? We, in the same way, he says, we should not be divided about this. That we shouldn't be divided about this. This is something that we are united on. But he says, and then we care for one another, doesn't he? Look at verse 25. He says, we care for one another. Those that are sick, those that are hospitalized, those that are going through transitions, you find yourself in a rough spot. Are you a single parent? Are you widowed? Are you elderly? Is there something that's happening in your life? We care for. We bear the burdens with. We, 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 we come through. We help shoulder the responsibility as we care for one another in these times of life. That's what the body of believers, we need one another because we all find ourselves in situations like this where we're vulnerable, where we need care. It goes on, what else? If the body suffers, right? Verse 26, if one member suffers, all suffer together. Not only do we honor and protect, we care for one another, we also suffer together. I've said it again, this is a safe place. You are not alone. If you are grieving and mourning, you've lost a child, a friend, a parent, somebody close to you, if you are suffering for your faith, persecuted in work because, of your belie- because you're a believer, if you're suffering through things like mental illness, depression, anxiety, God has given you the body of believers to come around you. Don't suffer through those things alone. Those are, the, those are the very times where you need to press in to this uncommon community and not isolate yourself, not hide at home, but allow God's people to come around you and to pray for you because if you're suffering, God has designed it this way. If you're a part of our church, you, we're suffering with you. And in God's design and God's practical, physical care, you will find a safe place here where there's not shame for those things, where there's people who are just gonna cry and be with you and help you. Allow God's people, allow God's spirit to work through God's people to you. That's what he's designed this for. We honor and protect one another. We care for one another. We suffer together. And how does the verse end? And we, look at it, look at it, verse 26. What does it say? And we rejoice. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Hey, when you're enjoying something, if I'm seeing a beautiful sunset at night, you know, it's great to see it myself, but you know what makes it even more profound and more enjoyable? When Aaron is next to me. When my wife is experiencing the same thing, joy is exponentially greater when it is enjoyed with a community of people. We come along with one another. When, we are, when you're promoted, when you have an anniversary, a birthday, those graduations, those special things, spiritual growth, all those, we want to rejoice with you. We want to. And here's the beautiful thing. As, as we're God's people, and maybe we find ourselves in one of these different things, maybe we're suffering or we're vulnerable and all that, that we can still rejoice even when it's hard with those that are being honored. We love to celebrate. God's people should be a people of celebrating unlike anyone else in the world because we have the greatest reason to celebrate, don't we? We have the greatest reason to celebrate. We have more hope than anyone. We have more joy than anyone because of what Christ has done for us. And so I'll just make a plug here. You want to be in on our celebration on September 30th. We're coming up on our one-year anniversary as a church. Do you realize that? It's like sneaking right up on us. 
We launched public worship services October 1st last year. And so that's on a Monday. So uh, on Sunday, September 30th, right here after worship, we're going to have a great time together. Camp Eagle's coming. They're bringing the fun with uh, uh, their portable rock wall and bungee jump thing and inflatables and food trucks and music and giveaways and all that. And we're going to celebrate as God's people together. Fight your friends, your neighbors, all those that you want to say, hey, this is the Lord's doing. It is marvelous in our eyes because God has done something great among us that we must celebrate. Jesus himself said, I will build my church way back when in Matthew 16, and he's done it here. He's done it right here a year ago. This didn't exist. And just as out of nothing, God breathed life into humanity. And just as out of nothing, God gave us faith through his spirit. And just like out of nothing, God has raised up a church, a a community of God's people right here called Redemption Bible Church. And we're going to celebrate the heck out of it on September 30th. We rejoice together. We honor the Lord in that way. So we don't attend church as a, just as a consumer. We're a diverse yet interdependent people. We give and we take. We need the body. The body needs us and I just as much as you. In all of these seasons, we are made for one another. Look how verse 27 ends this section. We embrace one another. We embrace one another, he says. But now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. He sums it up with a pretty definitive statement, right? Saying we are made for one another. We are the many made one, altogether unique, diverse and independent, embracing one another. Embracing one another. This is the definitive statement on what the community of believers is, what the church, the physical gathering of God's people are. We are both to be the body and belong to the body. You who are saved can't run from it. You can't. This is a part of what we, what, just existence into the Christian life. The Bible knows no Christian apart from a church. It's why we prioritize things like Sunday worship and weekly small group as we gather together. And you who are considering things like the faith, you who are maybe unsure about the whole Jesus thing and this church thing, here the Bible is compelling you to run to it. God's spirit is compelling you to run to it. And if you feel like, you know what, my sins are too bad. My sins are too bad. I'm just not good enough. Here's the truth. You're right. You're right. But Christ did something so astounding. He took all of those things. He knows that we were not good enough. And he bore the punishment for you that you might be part of the community. There's great Old Testament pictures of Christ being cast outside the camp. He was, took on the sin. He was cast outside the community of faith, bearing the punishment that we deserved, conquering that, and then inviting us into it. Inviting us here. There is no one that is saved. There's no one in this room that is a Christian that is here because they earned it. We are all here because Christ invited us in And now he's inviting you. He's inviting you. Inviting you. He says, come, come, come before me. Repent of your sin. Believe on Christ. And here, he's inviting you. See, the Harvard, or the Harvard study, rather, was right. Those in community live longer on earth. As we study our Bibles, we see that those who are in uncommon community live eternally. 
This is the hope of the gospel. This is our hope for the future. This is the hope that we have. There's a warning here. Don't be the finger that's detached from the body, useless and decaying. Come be a vital member of it in your faith, committed to the body of believers here. So we both be the church. Like he says, you are the body of Christ. Be the church, be the body, and belong to it, individually, members of it. You know, the beautiful thing is next week, there's all kinds of celebrations. September's a great month because next Sunday, our 100% Sunday, we're just saying, hey, everyone, you want to be here. Whatever you have on your schedule, cancel it because you want to be here because we're going to celebrate these things. There's many that are going to publicly profess their faith through baptism, saying Christ has done this in me. I am united to Christ. And at the end of the service in our church meeting time, we're going to have a recognize our new members, those that have joined us and committed and said, redemption's my church home. And we have a church meeting, all those things, but these things will be on display even next Sunday as we embrace uncommon community. It's a local expression of something that is a global, eternal reality. So as we close here, dear beloved, God saved you. He brought you to redemption for a reason. He's brought you here for a reason. As we've talked about these things, you know, we're, we're, we're talking about our unity in Christ and our unity among one another in Christ. And do you know what's like the, the primary display and just in God's wisdom and God's goodness? You know how we remember that on an ongoing basis? It's through communion. It's through communion as we remember that our uh, Christ's death and burial and resurrection on our behalf. This is what unites us. This is what brings us together. And you know what's so profound about these things? Is the passage that we oftentimes go to in, uh, in, in our uh, uh, communion time is 1 Corinthians 11. Just flip over a page to it right now. Turn over to 1 Corinthians 11. If you've been with us and we've shared communion together, you've probably heard me read from these verses, verse 23 and following. Because here's what was happening. I told you that Corinth was a a church, a a real local church of of body of believers that came from all various religious backgrounds that were coming from all kinds of social upbringings and all these things. And yet, you know what they were doing? They were uh, isolating themselves and they were being selfish among one another. And so as they were coming, they were practicing the ordinances. They were coming to the Lord's table. They were hogging it all. They were drinking the wine and eating all the bread. And so others were being left out. Like, hey, you missed the point. You missed the point. So Paul's having to rebuke them and he's having to correct them. And you know what he points them back to then? He's telling them this in chapter 11. And he points us back to our unity in Christ, in the spirit. See, this is what we remember. This is why we commune our individual connection to it, but also our community to it. And so we're going to move to a time now of communion. I'm going to call our ushers uh, forward.